Wow, that was a little, little small foretaste of heaven, amen? I like it. Wow, I don't think I've heard a church where the cheering started on that fourth, fourth verse. That was good. That was a blessing. Thank you. Thank you very much. You guys sang, except for the one I've never heard of, but every one of those hymns we sing in Ukraine in Russian, and they're amongst our, all of our favorites. And, so, and that's the last one. That's one of the all-time favorites. That was the one that I always think of my father-in-law, who's in heaven now. And um, yeah, he was battling it out. My daughter, my, my daughter, my wife would play that song for him. And he was there battling cancer, you know, and just the tears streaming down to his side. Just always think of him. He's got the victory now. Amen. So is today Pentecost? I was kind of hoping. Amen. <laughs> Kind of hope it every day, but I don't know, you just kind of have extra hope on a day like this, but you know, but so, so far it hasn't happened. So we're here. Amen. And uh, just really, really good to see. Um, I, for, I forget how to pronounce Sister, formerly Dare. Um, but anyway, we knew her family pretty well. Her family went to the church where I got right. And I think that even before you were born, <laughs> they went to the church in Indiana, right? Yeah, Brother Robert's church. So, um, so yeah, I, was, I, I, I got saved out of that whole uh, music scene. And then I went to church at Landmark, and they were very, very polished and, you know, very proper. And I, I sat there. Music was like a big part of my life. And I just kind of like, you know, one day I'm going to like this music. <laughs> you know, I'm a Christian now, and I'm going to like it, you know, kind of a thing. And, and I liked it real. And, um, but, you know, it was, it was good. Uh, and then I heard that there was going to be a special meeting in Indiana at that church, and I showed up. Um, I talked to two other guys of the former band I played in, and we were all, I was still long-haired. They were, it was, we looked kind of rough. Drug him in at the last minute, and man, it's like, the one the guy, he was, uh, his name was Jerry Angel. He was the bass player. He was like, yeah, I remember that time I almost got saved at gunpoint. <laughs> But all I remember is them singing uh, Victory in Jesus. And I mean, Mike Roberts was up there pounding, you know, the pulpit. That's how he leads singing. <laughs> and uh, I was like, wow, this is it. I am amongst my people here. This was almost close to a mosh pit for Christians or something. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I could get in this stuff, you know. But anyway, it was, it was great. And, uh, you know, we had those, <laughs> those um, ties with your parents. It's good to see you. Good to see you guys here. And I guess the husband's at home with the sick. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. But anyway, I always think fondly of the family and Mount Hope and all that kind of stuff. So uh, always good to see God's people find a good place to call church and call home, amen, and grow and raise a family for the Lord and just get involved. That's always a blessing. Uh, yeah, please pray for us tomorrow. Uh, as, uh, you know, we saw a lot of police, a lot of accidents on the way up here, and I guess this weekend is one of the worst for driving. And so we're going to drive back through Ohio. Do you all know the Silvestris? You know the Silvestris? Yeah, so uh, we always, if we go by Wooster, Ohio, we call them. I just want to tell a quick story, a little anecdote, because uh, I hear a lot of people here have come up to me personally and said, Brother Rue, just want you to know that I pray for you every day. And that's very humbling. And uh, I know that sometimes uh, this, um, like you're singing as unto the Lord, it's kind of, it's, it's a different day whenever you actually have to, you know, kind of spell that out for Christians. 
Every time we sing, it's supposed to be as unto the Lord, you know. But we live in a day where that needs to be. I mean, you're kind of starting at kindergarten again. And uh, you have to do that. It's good to do that. You know, it's just we take a lot for granted now in the Christian life. And things have certainly changed in the body of Christ. But um, uh, talking about prayer and missions and the, the connection that we have, uh, we're going to go back through. And we, I called Brother Silvestri, and, or he called me a couple of days ago, and he was just like, Brother, you were, uh, I heard that you preached these messages, and it's like these people have been talking about them ever since February, like you rocked their world. I, can I, could you send those to me? And I said, sure. And then I called him back, and, and I said, we're going to be driving by. Would you mind just getting a meal? And he was like, Brother, you need to stay here. You need to spend the night. So we're going to go spend the night tomorrow night. Listen, they're kind of special uh, people because um, there was one time we went back to the field, and it was, uh, it was not a good experience, the whole trip. Um, I was in a hurry. I didn't want to wait. A little bit of pressure being here over a year. God forbid that a missionary stays in the States over a year. And the pressure was on, and we got on a plane in winter. In winter in Chicago, my wife was pregnant. You know, maybe we could have stayed a couple more months, but we just didn't. And um, as a result, uh, we were in an ice storm, had to go through the de-icing process three times. And she's pregnant, and uh, they wouldn't let us get up. And so she sat in a plane in this, you know, economy for eight hours before taking off on a 10-hour flight. Long story short, we lost the baby. We landed, and then it was a... Um, and then there was an ice storm in Odessa, and I couldn't get her to a hospital, and so it was just, it was awful, okay? And I'm on the phone with, with midwives back here, and I'm really, really concerned for my, life's, my, my wife's life because of, you know, the loss of blood, and just went, got through that night. And it was scary. I mean, it was really, it was heart-wrenching, and it was scary, and there was no help, and all I had was just, I had no time to really... They didn't have Facebook and stuff back then to kind of enlist quickly uh, God's people to pray, like maybe you can now. But I did call a couple of people, and I said, just please pray. And, uh, you know, the phones and the Internet and all that kind of stuff does help get prayer requests out quickly, right? But there is someone, you talk about fiber optics, and you talk about Wi-Fi and no, you know, cordless whatever, the Holy Spirit of God in the hearts of God's people, I mean, it's just right now. He transcends time and space, everything. Amen? And so um, we got through that night, and I won't go into all the details, but it was, it was a, a, a mess. I've never seen. Anyway, um, we got a letter about a month or six weeks later from Sister Silvestri, and she said... Um, Sister Rue, she said, I don't know what was going on in your life on January the 6th because it was the Ukrainian Christmas. And it was like, welcome back to the mission field. And this is, where it's, this is how it's going to start, you know, your term. And uh, she said, I don't know what was going on in your life on January the 6th, but she said, the Holy Spirit of God just impressed me to pray for you all day long, that I fasted all day for you. I prayed for you all day. And she said, I just felt like I needed to tell you that. And then we realized that that was the day, you know, we were trying to get through one of the worst nights of our lives. And then uh, it just shows you that there is a connection that we have, folks, with this 
ministry of the gospel around the world, local churches, sending missionaries. We can't do it without you. Amen. And uh, just thank you for praying. Keep praying. And uh, anytime you get one of those little impressions from the Holy Spirit of God, you know, what I like to tell people is this. If you ever have one of those moments where you're in prayer and God's really real to you, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, he's right there in the room with you. He's in you. He's right there by you. And just you made contact with the third heaven. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> when you have that moment and you're just in that spirit of prayer and intercession and thanking God and praising him and worshiping him, would you just do a quick and just help Brother Rue? In that moment, if you will just do that, that's all, folks, that I need. Amen. It'll get the job done. Just, amen. <laughs> so, amen. Anyway, anyway, that's maybe selfish, but I think that that's how we've gotten through these 30 years. So, thank you for your prayers. So, we're going to go see the Sylvestris tomorrow. But tonight, um, some pastors asked me to speak about Ukraine and the, the whole thing of what's really going on. And uh, we don't trust our news media, they say, and we don't know what's going on, we're in the dark. And yeah, the, the war's been going on since 2016. I mean, men in my church have been fighting in this war since 2016. So 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. You know, this war has been going on for quite a while, but it's just not been on this scale. Okay, and I wasn't sure, I really wasn't sure if it was going to be on this scale. I did expect Putin to follow the standard operation procedure that Russia has followed for centuries. Russia's been doing this for a long time. You know, this Russian empire didn't just happen overnight. This huge 12 time zone uh, massive country, you know, it, it just didn't happen overnight. They've been annexing uh, lands back to itself for a long time. And um, including Japan's land, including China's land, <laughs> Ukraine, it's just, it's been doing this a long time. Uh, and I guess the day of reckoning has come for them. But, um, and that's, that's not over yet. I think Russia's got some hard days ahead. But um, this whole thing is, uh, is, I guess, surprised some. And they've asked for a perspective from somebody who's lived over there. Uh, I studied in the Odessa State University. Like I said this morning, all of my, uh, most all of my professors were all Moscow trained, um, you know, professors. And uh, I got a, pers you know, a little bit of an interesting perspective. I had a lot to learn. I went over there. I didn't understand any of this, what I'm going to show you tonight. So there's going to be uh, some Bible, of course. There's going to be some history. We're not going to turn to a lot of pages. I'm just going to put the, the, the verses up on the screen, if that's okay with you. And... Um, show you some history and then look at the prophecy and then maybe uh, draw a couple of, per, you know, maybe uh, conclusions what I think is, this is what's going on right now and at least what I've seen uh, living on the other side of the world, which it is a totally different perspective from where uh, you sit today. And one of the difficulties of working with people are the people who assume that just because you do things a certain way doesn't mean the rest of the world does it that way, you know. It's just going to Ukraine and trying to get anything done with this American mentality was very, very difficult. Um, and they just assumed that everybody does things the way they do it. And it's like nobody does things. <laughs> but anyway, um, so let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the uh, presentation tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for, uh, wow, I just look forward to hearing the cheers whenever you're finally crowned, Lord. It says, wow. 
um, to finally be home. You know, what a day that'll be. And uh, Lord, just help us to um, be fruitful, to be um, useful, to be uh, faithful. Lord, in the, in the meantime, I pray that you would use this presentation, the, the exposition of the verses and uh, these... Um, all of it, Lord. I just pray that you would use it, that you would bless it, that you would edify your church and help them to understand uh, the time in which we live for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I'd like to begin with the question, is Ukraine in the Bible? And I'd like to just go ahead and say yes, yes, Ukraine is in the Bible, okay? It's in there, but you have to kind of go back. You have to understand the Bible's way of speaking, okay? And I'd like to talk about Ukraine tonight and maybe, maybe go ahead and just begin with a little bit of, a, of an anecdote of a, an interesting lecture. I mean, we had a lot of hours, a lot of lectures, a lot of teachers and all that kind of stuff. But one always stood out. And that was um, one day we had this, um, his name was Vladimir. I don't remember his last name now, but he was our history and geography teacher. And, uh, and he began to break down the name Ukraine and, you know, ooh, they have these prefixes and they have the root words and they, Ukraina, Ukraine means borderlands. It means kind of the beyond the borders. And so he said that pretty much it's, uh, it's an area where east meets west. It's, it's called, it's not Europe and it's not Asia, it's called Eurasia, okay? And uh, because of Ukraine's unique situation in the world where east meets west, he said, I'm a historian, my friends are historians, and there has never been 100 years of peace on Ukrainian soil. And immediately I thought, wow, you know, one thing I learned at PBI was uh, one thing that men learn from history is that what? Men never learn from history, and those that don't learn from history are doomed to what? <laughs> Repeat it. Yes, exactly. And so I immediately started doing some mental math. I mean, I at least could do that, <laughs> some simple addition. And I realized 1945, 100 years later, I thought, wow, there's a good, good, you know, good up, you know, possibility that there's going to be war in my lifetime here in Ukraine. And while I'm doing this mental math, he says, and our next war is going to be with Russia. And he said this in 1995. I remember the year of this lecture. It was 1995, okay? That's a long time ago. This is an unsaved man. He and I went at it in class every once in a while. I mean, he started blasting the Bible, and so it was, you know, I went head-to-head -head with the professors about the Word of God and about anything with the Word of God. So anyway, uh, one time, for example, the one teacher, she's, they, they were such humanists, and it was so sickening. It was like gag-a-maggot, you know. It was just, and they would get up there, and they would, with, with great, you know, their, their writing, just, oh, Alexander Sergeyevich Pushkin, you know, and he would say this. And, and this guy, you know, in the great wisdom of our Russian people, you know, we believe that man shall not live by bread alone. Period. <laughs> you know, what? You need to finish that. You guys are plagiarizing. You are not quoting him right. <laughs> you know, and so we would go, oh, where does it come from? And boy, I, we, we were educating each other. Amen. The one teacher found this, uh, at the very last class, she found this little caricature, this cartoon of this white cat and this black cat. And they just tore into each other. And then the last one was they both went away with uh, black and white stripes. And she said, you know, Mr. Rue, <laughs> she says, I think that this illustrates our relationship. 
and I hope that maybe, you know, I've certainly taken away some things from you, and I hope you've taken some away some things from me. And I was like, yeah. But anyway, so we, um, he said the next um, war is with Russia, and then he began to, in 1995, outline line by line the Crimea, the gas lines, Sevastopol, the Black Sea Fleet, and he said these words. He said, Ukraine is a powder keg, and all it's going to take is a spark, and it could ignite World War III. 1995, okay? And I thought, wait a minute. What are you talking, Russia? Did you say Russia? And he said, yes. Our next war is going to be with Russia. I said, but you are one of the same people. He said, oh, no, we're not. And I had a lot to learn. So when answering the question about Ukraine and Russia and the backstory of all of this, and we're, for a Christian, we want to know, what does this have to do with this? Besides the, the obvious, well, the world's going to get together and everybody's going to come against Israel and, you know, right? That's what we want to know. And we, the obvious, I think there's a couple of details that maybe we've missed. And so to answer the question, is Ukraine in the Bible? Well, yeah, you have to kind of like to show your, uh, draw your attention to Isaiah 46.10 where the Lord said this, he said, declaring the end from the beginning. Now, he can do that. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. And so in that verse, we find the uh, omnipotence of God. He will do all his pleasure. We see that he is a God that reveals himself to man. Amen. We need special revelation. Without special revelation, we're sunk. We're in the dark. Amen. We're lost, hopelessly lost. But he says how he declares things and how he reveals things to man is declaring the end from the beginning. Of course, that's prophecy. But uh, when you go to the book, you realize that God put in the book, uh, in his holy word, the King James Bible, in case you're wondering where I stand on the whole thing. And I believe this is the standard for the world, okay? Uh, this is it. And we have it in our church statement of faith in Ukraine, and our people have no problem with it. Okay, now the, the new language in Ukraine, the new official language. Ukraine has two official languages. One now is Ukrainian and the other is English. America doesn't even have that. Did you know that? So just put that out there. And anyway, I haven't changed at all when it comes to this in, in the ministry. But anyway, um, he put in there the dates, or the, the times, the places, the people, the events that were pictures. They were types of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have to go back to the beginning, like the book of Genesis, to find out the origins of the nations. And this uh, whole thing about racism is shutting things down. People aren't you know, reading their Bibles anymore. Amen. They're not studying anymore the origins of the nations because... Uh, well, everybody's afraid. They're, they're scared of being labeled a racist. Everybody today has to qualify, I'm not a racist, I'm not a racist. Remember how, you, you see how, the, how it has moved? It went from being, well, I'm not narrow-minded. Remember that one? I, I'm not narrow-minded, but in order for you to actually speak your mind in America, you had to qualify it because you were intimidated. By propaganda. That's all, it, that's all it is. It's propaganda intended to manipulate you and intimidate you and to get you to shut your mouth. 
It's all it is. It's intimidation. And it used to be, well, I'm not a bigot. I'm not narrow-minded. Right? Then it's, uh, well, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a male chauvinist. Remember that one? Oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm for women's lib. Then they, then they conquered that part of manhood. And they moved it now to what? I'm not a racist. Now it's an I'm not a homophobe. And what's next? You know, so anyway, this whole thing about racism, I'd just like to know what that is, to be, on, to be honest with you. Race is not a Bible word. The Bible speaks of nations and tongues and families, right? It speaks of those things, but it does list people, peoples. And their, you know, it uses the name of their origins. It pronounces judgments and warnings and prophecies and blessings. And if you don't know origins, he said, I declared the, you know, the end from the beginning. If you don't know the beginning, then you're not going to know the end. I mean, they're in, what is it, Psalm 183? I'm sorry, 83? 183. 83, it lists 10 nations in there, or 10 peoples in there. And I don't think that that's been fulfilled in the past. I think that's a future uh, passage. But you're not going to know who he's talking about unless you know origins. And so to answer the question about is Ukraine in the Bible, yes, but it's not Ukraine. It's a different name. It's like you need to know who the Elamites. Do you know who the Elamites are? They're modern-day Persians. You know, we know the Babylonians, and we know what uh, the Hagarenes. That's an interesting group of people. The Elamites are a very interesting group of people in the Bible. And uh, so, notice this in Acts chapter 17. He says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the, notice it, the bounds of their habitation. Just notice this, you know, as far as racism go, goes, I'm not quite sure if I understand what that even is. I just know this. I know Jesus Christ died for all. Amen, because we're all sinners. I know we all have the same need. And I know one thing, if you think you're better than somebody else, you're in trouble. Okay? Now, if that makes me a racist, so be it. Amen. But at the same time, I do believe God has pronounced certain blessings, like I said, and judgments and warnings on certain peoples in the Word of God. And I stick to the Word of God about these things. It's not going to go so well for the, some of them, you know. So anyway, the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Notice that God sets bounds on the people. Deuteronomy 32, 8 says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when, the sep when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. And so what's the number of the children of Israel? Twelve. Israel is not numbered amongst the nations, and so originally I believe that there were twelve after the Tower of Babel. I think originally there were 12 uh, languages, and from that everything else just kind of grew and split off from there. But notice this again. We see the character of God in that he sets bounds on the people. God is a God that sets boundaries. Everybody needs to, you know, happily feel after God that they can find him. 
And then notice this in Isaiah chap, or, well, Hosea chapter 12 says, I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. And so again, that verse just tells us that in the Bible there are uh, similitudes, there are events, people, places, and things that go on that speak about the Lord Jesus Christ and His work. Like, for example, Joshua, right? Joshua takes on five kings, Right? And at the end, what does he do? He puts his foot on their necks, right? Why does he include those little details? Well, because it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, Joshua, who's a picture of Jesus Christ, at the end of the times of the Gentiles, because in Daniel's image, there were five. And he subdues them, amen? It's a picture of of Jesus Christ, amen, at the Battle of Armageddon and whenever that whole transference of, of power, whenever he gets it all, amen, we crown him king of king. And so all that's in there as a picture and it's a, it's a similitude. And so here we find a picture of the Antichrist now. And notice that he is completely con you know, contradictory to the nature and character of God and his work with the nations. Isaiah 10, 13, he says, For he saith, and this is the Assyrian, this is the Antichrist, saith, by the strength of my hand. Notice the, the, the possessive pronouns. Notice those, uh, that, that unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, you know. It kind of sounds a lot like uh, Nabal. Sounds like Pharaoh, right? He says, for by the strength of my hand, I, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I am prudent and I have removed the bounds of the people. And have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And boy, is he making big headway today with what he's doing in that verse. God sets bounds on the nations, and the Antichrist is breaking them down. This is what we call today globalism. That's what's kind of going on, and that's, we've been able to watch some things over there and appreciate kind of a perspective that maybe. Uh, Americans don't quite understand because we've been over here in the West and we know Western civilization. We know Western culture. We know the development of uh, all these inventions and all these, you know, discoveries of the telephone and electricity and how it turned, you know, into, the, you know, uh, transportation and, and communication and all these advancements. And Whenever we went over to Ukraine, I mean, it felt like I went back in time 50 years to, to 1945. It's like the wall went up, and wow, the place hardly changed at all. I mean, it literally, they were still riding around in those motorcycles you see in the World War II movies with the little sidecars with the Nazis in them. I mean, this was Grandpa and Grandma with those little beady, you know, those little funny caps. I mean, it's going along with their silver teeth, you know. <laughs> they were... It was like going back 50 years. And uh, so, yeah, we know the Great Awakening and we know the Reformation and the, Inquis the Inquisition and the discovery of America and all, all these things, but the other side of the world has a different history. And uh, they had all this communication and transportation and all these discoveries dumped on them overnight. And it's causing a little bit of a rub I mean, do you like what's going on in your country? You appreciate it? Did you vote for it? You're paying for it. You're flipping the bill. This is, you know, it's not 
appreciated so much over there. And so this globalism is uh, kind of one of the things behind this, this whole war. And notice this, in Matthew 24, uh, Matthew 24 is, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a tribulation passage, right? Isn't he talking about the trib? Yeah. And we have our buzzwords in churches, and we kind of, in, over time, have gotten this idea that when the Antichrist comes and the tribulation begins, that he's going to in, usher in this great time of peace. There is going to be some kind of a agreement, right? And we kind of get this idea that, yeah, there's going to be a one-world what? Government with a one-world religion, with a one-world currency, with a one-world what? You know, leader. And I'd like to add on to that a one-world culture. One-world culture. Now, what I've noticed over in Ukraine is that things are changing. When we went over to Ukraine, I mean, Russians looked like your traditional Russians. Ukrainians looked Ukrainian. You know, they had those typical hats, you know. And I, I read Hudson Taylor. I knew you're supposed to dress and look like the people. I always took it as a badge of honor when anybody would say, you know, you're different from all these other missionaries. Number one, you talk like a man. The men would say, you know, you don't talk like these guys. You talk like a man. You know, I appreciate And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a teacher at the university, and she said, yeah, we, were, we drove past you. You were waiting at the bus stop, and the bus, you know, drove past. And she said, I, took to, I looked at my other fellow teacher, and I told her, that's an American. She was like, no, he looks just like us. I was like, but I had arrived, you know. So I saw that summer, that, that winter, the first winter we had, man, they had muskrat and wolf, coyote, bear, uh, mink, rabbit. I mean, they had every, all the animals died, <laughs> you know, and they put them on their heads. <laughs> and they had, I mean, it was just, it was cool. It really was neat to see. And uh, so I went out and I got myself a hat because I wanted to fit in and look just like them. And I went to church and the people were like, no. Pastor, no. Preacher, don't do that. I'm like, what? I look like you. And they're like, no, you have rabbit on. Well, what's wrong with rabbit? Well, it's the cheapest. It's the most, it's what the drunks and the bums wear. You know, it's that kind of stuff. It looked like mink to me. <laughs> you know? But uh, man, you, today you hardly see those hats anymore. They're wearing Nike and Levi's. They've got, what is that? Uh, I don't know armor and they got uh, Hillfinger and Collins and they all these western brands. I got a friend in Nike he said yeah 10 years ago worldwide we had eight uh, lines of product and then we got it down to six worldwide and then we got it down to four worldwide and now we got it down to two. What is that? It's globalism. They're trying to get it to one where men wear what women wear and women wear what men wear. It's all about money, is what it's about. And so this globalist push is uh, really causing a rub. The, the, the Ukrainians are not, and the Russians aren't very happy with the Western corporations because, I mean, really, folks, uh, things have changed over here. And globalism is causing a rub. And just notice what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24 in a tribulation passage. He says, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Where's all the fuzzy-wuzzy peace we're talking about? This is tribulation. 
wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For what? Nation shall rise against what? What is that? That's called nationalism. That's no, the, 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 the UN is pushing a one world government so fast that it's causing a rub and it's giving rise to nationalism. Because today, what I've noticed over in Ukraine, I've noticed a lot of changes in 30 years. I've noticed a rise in crime. I've noticed, noticed a rise in a lot of perverts that didn't used to be there. They were atheists, they were communists, but buddy, they, there was no murder, hardly any. I mean, if there was any murder, murdering to be done, it was the government <laughs> against its people. But the people against themselves, not really. There wasn't any of this weird stuff going on with, you know, abusing children. You know, that came from us. And uh, so this world globalist culture that is emerging, what's going on? Well, everybody is listening to the same global music. What is that? That's culture. Everybody is watching now the same movies. What is that? That's forming thoughts, views, perspectives, taking for granted certain things. That is a global now cultural thing. Everybody's watching and listening to the same news outlets for the most part. There is a battle going on for the dominance with the news outlets and a lot of news outlets. What's being reported here is practically verbatim what's being reported over in Ukraine. What it's forming, a global culture. It's global corporations who are producing the products, right? And everybody now is buying the same things, listening to the same things. I mean, it's a global culture, and not everybody is really happy about it. Because America has definitely been in the driver's seat. Because God's been good to us. I don't think that we quite appreciated it. So getting back to the question, is Ukraine in the Bible? Well, yeah. We have to go to the book of Colossians. And I remember sitting in PBI in 1991, 1992... And I remember when we came to this verse, Dr. Ruckman paused and he said, well, we'll read it, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian. Scythian. There's Ukraine. And I remember him saying, the Scythians were north of the Black Sea. He said it's where, moder where you know, modern day Ukraine is. And he said there's something special about uh, the book of Colossians because Laodicea occurs five times in this book, which makes it kind of an interesting connection, gives an interesting application to the body of Christ at the end of the church age. And when you read the contents of the book of Colossians, it nails us today. And I'll just, for example, one example, it nails us when it says, beware of philosophy. And I go around this country, we've been in a lot of states, and we, brother, please pray for my son. Please pray for my daughter. Why? Because you, you paid tens of thousands of dollars to send them off to a secular college, and the required mandatory subject is what? Psychology and philosophy, right? And all they try to get those kids hooked on is just, you can't prove anything unless you can see it, hear it, taste it, touch it, anything that's tangible, right? And uh, this whole thing of just be yourself. 
Doesn't that sound good, just be yourself? That's bad advice. That's some of the worst advice you can give some people. And how am I supposed to take that as a Christian? Because now the old man is supposed to be dead. And the new man is supposed to live. So this whole thing about existentialism that came to us from, you know, France. These, these philosophers, and everybody's goo-goo-ga-ga over the Greeks, but nobody really gives Solomon the time of day. They don't like the conclusions that Solomon came to. Amen? But buddy, when it comes to the Greeks and the Athenians and Athens and all that stuff and Plato's Republic and Socrates, and I mean, they, it, it is a mess. And they've messed up our youth. And, and, and our youth are going away to these institutions of higher learning, getting all involved and they're getting their minds all messed up with this philosophy. And God told you, he told you, beware. And so Colossians has a special application to the body of Christ at the end of the church age. And I remember Dr. Ruckman saying, there's something's going to happen. That part of the world is going to be important at the end of the church age. And there they are, staring us in the face. That's a lot of light for 1991, don't you think? If you've got a King James Bible, you've got a lot of light. And we've not exhausted it yet, folks. So here's the Scythians. Who are the Scythians? Well, going back to answer, who are the Elamites? Here they are, the Scythians. You see the Black Sea? I don't have a laser, but you see the Black Sea right there. And then you see the Scythians north. You see over here, you see that date, 500, I love it. You know, I don't love it, but sarcastically, I love it, BCE. That's what I, you know, one of those things that they have over there in the former Soviet Union, before the common era. No, it's before Christ. Amen? They have that kind of stuff. But anyway, the Scythians. Who were the Scythians? Well, you have to understand uh, the times of the Gentiles. The Scythians were Persians, modern-day Iranians. Well, who were they? The Persians. Well, I know where they are. They're, well, we go back to Brother Larkin. He illustrates the times of the Gentiles here. And you guys know this, right? You've seen this. So we have the head is Babylon. Then after that is Media Persia. I think God could have used anything he wanted. Right? He could have used anything to illustrate this point, to illustrate the times of the Gentiles. And I think that just, he said, media, Persia, two arms. And I think that that's on purpose because it was Cyrus and Darius, the Medes and the Persians. And then after them, you have Greece and after Greece, Rome. And then after, you know, Rome, there's like those really, really long toes. Those are long toes. <laughs> and... Um, but notice this, Brother Larkin, I mean, he had it. Can you see what this says here, these two legs? No? Well, you know that the loins there, that was Rome, right? And something happened. Well, Jesus Christ, number one, showed up at that time, right? And then there was, right on that left leg, it says Eastern Division. And on the right leg, Western Division. Underneath, it says the... Uh, Greek church, and then Western papal, papal church. He had a lot of light. There was a division in the world. There is the Western civil hemisphere and the Western civilization, and there is Eastern civilization. This is where East 
meets West, there is a clash that's going on. And Ukraine is right in the middle. We were pointing these things out to the guys in the, in the uh, Bible Institute, and they were like, no wonder things are so bad. We're like the bottom of the world. <laughs> I thought that was funny. They didn't quite say bottom, but anyway. I'm not going to translate it. <laughs> but notice those legs don't come together. Those legs are divided, and those legs stay divided all the way to the end of those ten toes. And you know those ten toes, you know those ten toes are ten kings under the Antichrist in the tribulation. And so, I say that to say this, is that what we see in the times of the Gentiles is we see empires expand and contract. We see one rise and then it falls. And whenever they expand, they really, they conquer a lot of territory. And you can understand it because there is a dual application, of course, to Daniel chapter 7, where you've got those other beasts and there is a repeat, right? There's a repeat. And so for modern day, for, for example, um, you look at uh, Romania. Now, Romania was part of the Soviet Union. They were kind of considered Russia over here. It's all Russia. But if you go over there, Romanians are not Ukrainians. And you look at the Romanians, their features, the way they look. You look at uh, the way they talk. They kind of, you know, they get real animated. And they... So what's the root of the name Romania? Well, these are Italians that got left behind after the Roman Empire fell. And they speak a Cyrillic dialect with a Latin alphabet. So what is that? These are people that got left behind. And they were like Italians. <laughs> Stood their ground and, you know, kind of gave birth to their own country now. But they're definitely Italians. No, no doubt about it. Same thing happened with the Scythians. The Scythians were the result of the expansion of the Persian Empire, which according to the book of Esther was 120 provinces. It was large. It was huge. And then it contracted, and here you got these Scythians there. And you look at pictures of the Ukrainians and compare them to pictures of Persians, and you're looking at the same people. Our guys called it up on the Internet. They called up pictures of Persians, and they were like, that looks like my sister. That looks like my aunt. I mean, it looks just like my uncle. And they were like, wow, all that's in the Bible. I'm like, yeah, all the answers are here. Amen? So, yeah, Ukraine's in the Bible in a very, very special place. So where does Russia come in? Where does Ukraine come in? Well, there's a backstory here. We'll get into this real quick, a quick history lesson. So between 800 and 1240, the East Slavic lands were called, it was a conglomerated kind of a group called Kiev Rus. Uh, notice, Kiev Rus. There was no Russia back then. There was no such thing, at, really, uh, Moscow was a village on a river. But the, the, the capital of the Slavic people was Kiev, and Kiev is Ukraine. They were a bunch of pagans. They were the leftovers from the Persian Empire. You know, it's kind of like we see the leftovers of the, the British Empire. What language do they speak down in Australia? Second language in India. Over here, Canada. What is that? That's the result of an expanding empire, and now it's all kind of, it left behind its, its, its mark that God's using. But 
you, uh, the, the, the northern people up there, these were just north of the Black Sea. Uh, everything changed in 988 when uh, Vladimir the Great, he Christianized, so-called Christianized, uh, the Kiev or the Slavic people, with Kiev being, again, the capital. They were, they were Slavic. They were led by Vladimir the Great. <clears throat> and they had a, a culture that was being shaped by the eastern branch of so-called Christendom, Greek church or the, uh, uh, the Eastern Orthodox church. They chose the church specially. Uh, they looked at Judaism. They said, that's not going to work. They looked at Islam, they said, and they said, you know, uh, our guys can only handle one wife at a time. And they loved to drink. And they were like, Islam is not going to work for us. They were, were already always fighting the Western Crusaders. They did not trust the West anyway. Didn't like them. So they went to the Greek church or down there in Constantinople, modern-day Constantinople, which was, um, well, no, uh, yeah, Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul. And they went down there, and they were just absolutely enraptured by the, the rituals and ceremonies. And so they adopted uh, the, the Greek church or the eastern branch of the Orthodox church as a state church. He's known as Vladimir the Great. All of these princely clans, uh, though part of a larger dynasty, they were loosely connected by these family lines and they ruled the various regions. Uh, up in the north was uh, Prince uh, Sivalod Bignest, uh, Bolshoi Gnizdo, he had 14 kids. And then by the 1100s, the key of lands had split into a northern and a southern type of a, of a split. And um, the north was under uh, well, Kiev was in power and a northern realm under Sivalod's heirs who ruled as the Grand Princes of Vladimir. Everything changed when the Mongol hordes began to come through and just sack all of the, the towns and the villages and the cities. And that was, you know, Genghis Khan, the Mongols. And you don't really find them in the Bible because the Bible records the ones who have a direct uh, impact on Israel. Amen. But anyway, we have the Mongols that were there. And one guy said, you know what, the Mongols may be... They probably were the barbarians in the passage there in Colossians, which makes perfect sense, you know. And so anyway, I thought that that was really interesting. So they sacked all of the cities, including Kiev, but they really couldn't hold Kiev. Um, they established a permanent empire. They'd come through and then they would collect taxes and you had to pay up or, or else. And so uh, Kiev eventually could not be held by the Mongols. Kiev went towards like a Polish-Lithuanian holding, but the northern realm up there where Moscow is could not escape the Mongol rule. The Mongols were their overlords for centuries. And so they were Eastern Orthodox Christian, but under Mongol rule, which is totally different than the West. Over here, we had to fight the Pope, the Inquisition, right? The Crusades, but over in the east, it was a Mongol rule, and they gave them a, quite, a bit of, uh, quite a bit of freedom. And then everything changed again. Oh, wait a minute. They, they looked to outsource the job of collecting taxes because it just wasn't, it was messy, right? Just going through and, and the pillaging and all the things and killing and, you know, collecting taxes. And so they were looking for somebody to, you know, to, to up for the job. And this is where Moscow comes in. Moscow pretty much was unimportant. It was situated at a good location on the system of rivers there. And uh, their princes were not prominent. They were not rich. They were not wealthy. They had no imp imposing army. They really couldn't do anything. It was really a, a nowhere kind of a place. But they did. They were shrewd. And one thing that Russians really, really pride themselves on is their shrewd politicians. You know, hello, Mr. Putin. They adore him. 
You know, he, he, everybody lives vicariously through this guy on the horse, you know, the manly man. You know, while we've got, you know, Russians just look at their guy and then they look at Clinton. Right? And then Obama, or Obama, and then they look at, uh, you know, him, him in judo. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's us. That's me. Russia. And they look at you Americans. You got Obama. You know, that's what they're doing. They adore power. Like Churchill said, they, they despise nothing more than weakness and respect nothing but power. There's no compromising with these people. There's no agreeing with these people. They know one thing, you subdue them, or they'll take any, this, this dialectical teaching of dialectical compromise, everybody's got to give a little bit. Nobody's going to get exactly 100% of what they want. They're like, <laughs> oh yeah, we love this system. So all we have to do is just keep pushing, keep just causing problems and causing scandals and then blaming it on them. And then everybody's constantly, oh, we got to give up a little bit. We can't have 100%. No, you have to subdue. That's all they understand. But anyway, that's, I'm never going to be elected. <laughs> no, nobody's going to be elected like that. But um, so it had shrewd princes that realized that their ticket to power and riches was becoming tax collectors. And if you remember this morning, I showed you pictures of Taras Alexandrovich, the, the, you know, the Ukrainian nationalist who looked like Stalin. And he was one time translating for me in the early years, and I was explaining to the church the publicans, who the publicans were in the Word of God, in the Gospels, you know. And he got this sparkle in his eye. Because the publicans, who were they? Well, they were Jews who were tax collectors for the Romans against their own people. And he was like, I now know the Bible word for, you know, <laughs> for, for Russians. They're publicans. And over there they call them Muscovites. Ukrainians are, are, really don't call them Russia because, in reality, Russia stole their culture. It was Kiev Rus. Kiev Rus. Where did the word Russian come from? It came from Ukraine. They stole it. And so they were called Muscovites. And true Ukrainians won't call Russians Russians. They'll call them Muscovites. Because these princes got in power and they, they made Moscow a tax haven. Hello, Washington, D.C. Amen? So not only did they collect the taxes, they were supposed to pay their taxes to the Mongols as well, but they said, you know what? There's a surcharge. There's a consultation fee, right? There's overhead for our work and what we do. And uh, so they collected over and above to cover their expenses, right? And so Moscow became a tax haven, and Moscow began to get very, very wealthy very, and, and very powerful, and, uh, and that's how it came to be. And then in 1380, Prince Dmitri of Moscow defeated the Mongol army. So the Mongol Empire began to crack, and the Russians were the ones that led the, the way towards independence. And so, um, you know, you look at down here where it talks about Dmitri Donskoy, we have Washington and Jefferson Boulevard, and we have all those things. You go over there, and you'll find, you know, Dmitri Donskoy Square and Boulevard and all those kind of things. They have their heroes, the Eastern heroes, because he was the one that, that helped um, liberate them from the Mongols. Well, everything changed when the fall of the Byzantine Empire happened in, the fort, in 1453, and this new religious dimension entered the equation. And that is when the Muslims sacked and took over Asia 
Minor, Istanbul, or I'm not sorry, the Turkey, modern day Turkey, which is where the New Testament, practically all the manuscripts were from there, right? It shows you, America, that God is no respecter of persons. You get rid of this, and God's going to turn out the light on you. Amen? I mean, that's just the way it happened. And so, because of the Muslims, the Greek Orthodox Church had nowhere to turn, and the only surviving Eastern religion, uh, Greek church that was left was Moscow. And they went to them, and so as far as the Russians are concerned, God himself came to us for protection. We are the true protectors of Christianity because the West, you're a bunch of apostates in their minds. You know, so anyway, by the 1400s, Ivan III declared himself the Grand Prince of all Rus. He's up there in Moscow. He says, I'm it now. He began to annex other uh, towns and you know, areas to back to themselves. And then by the reign of Ivan III's grandson, Ivan the Terrible, Ivan Grozny, this whole thing was complete. And Moscow's rise to power was accomplished. And hello, the Russian bear of Daniel chapter 7. And there he is. Began to annex everybody's land back to himself. They had Putin and the rest of the Russia looks at their, it's an unfortunate little blip in our history that we had communism for a while and atheism. We won't talk about that. We won't repent of that. I led a man to Christ. Real interesting story. I'll just tell a quick story. Is that okay? Are we all right? What time do you usually, I did not start, I was supposed to start my thing and I did not do it. I'm sorry. Anyway, anyway, third year at PBI, God called me to go to the, to the mission field and I, I, we found a guy right down the street who taught Russian. And that's where I met my wife. She was taking Russian lessons too. I took Russian lessons even though I was trying to do third year Greek and Hebrew and my brain was exploding, could not handle it but I was trying to learn Russian too. Really wasn't learning Russian, I just tried because I wanted to win this guy to Christ and he got saved. He did get saved. I was on my way to Ukraine and after he got saved, he said, would you consider going to my hometown? And at the time there was a buzz about the former Soviet Union and I had a friend, brother Adam Trosclair and his brother David Trosclair was in Germany and he was taking, you know, trips into Russia, and I didn't know where, but anyway, there was all this call, as we need missionaries to go to the former Soviet Union, and he was describing some things that were going on, and I would, I would stay abreast of those, of, of those events and happenings, and then, uh, so here Gennady is asking me, would you please maybe go to Russia instead of Ukraine, and I said, well, I'll pray about it, and I went to class one night, sat down, and next to Adam Trosclair, and I said, by the way, where does your brother go over in, in, in Russia anyway? Where does he go? He said, it was some town or some city called Kra, Kra, Kra. I said, Kra, Krasnodar? He said, yeah, that's it. And I thought, wow, that's where David Trosclair's been going. He's been asking me to go. And I thought, uh, so I said, yeah, I think God's in this, we'll go. So my wife and I, we head towards the mission field. We stop off in Germany. She's pregnant by now. We had a birthing kid. You talk about kamikazes for Christ. I mean, it was... <laughs> so Brother Trosclair said, she's going to lose that baby on those roads. She will not survive the trip because we were planning to go. 
And so we stopped and I took a trip into, uh, into Russia with a truckload of um, humanitarian aid. Met up with a guy, we became friends, and uh, he became a missionary eventually. And his name is uh, Thomas Castellon. So he and I were in a truck together driving and drove in. We, we drove late at night into this town, Krasnodar, a town of 600,000 people. All right, showed up at like 2 or 3 in the morning, pulled over, and he's like, I know a little bit of German. You know, I'll go try to find a phone and call this director of this orphanage we're trying to find. And I stayed there by the stuff, you know, and I'm reading these Russian words, and I'm looking up, Frunze, Frunze, what is Frunze? I've heard that word before. And I'm reading these signs, and then I thought, I went and I got my notebook and opened it up. I'm like, this is the city street of the address where Gennady asked me to go. And then I looked at the house number. I looked at the truck. I looked at the house, and we parked right in front of it. That's just one of those little things. I thought I'd throw that in there. It's kind of one of those cool stories of just God. I'm just saying this. God knows how to get you where he wants you to go. And so we got, got the gospel to Gennady's uh, friends. We met up with his mother and his family, gave them the gospel, and God said, okay, you're done, and went to Ukraine. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but one of these days we will. But anyway, God said, you're not going to Russia. You're going to Ukraine and get you back on course and answer a prayer, answer his prayer and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the thing about Russia is this, is you notice it was a Cold War, right? Did we win? I'm not, seriously, who won? Did anybody win? Well, I think we won. I think they went down. I mean, we didn't really go down, did we? There was no economic collapse here. We didn't lose states. They lost countries, right? The thing is, is that when we won against Germany, what did the Germans do? They repented. You do this in Germany, you're going, you know, you're in trouble. What happened in Japan? They repented. They were, they were humbled. They were put down. The emperor had to renounce his deity. There was this whole, it was very ceremonial. The samurai had to give up their swords, all that stuff. What did that do? That subdued the people. America won. There was a humiliation process, and I think it was kind of necessary. Russia never had it, and Russia never repented. And that's kind of the problem today. I think that right now, the humbling process is going on. 30 years for the fall of an empire is not a lot of time. But right now, it's happening. So Putin comes on and he's like, well, you know, atheism, communism, it was an unfortunate little blip. I want to resurrect the old Russian Federation and I want to use and militarize practically the Russian Orthodox Church. And he's an absolute hypocrite. Tell him I said so. I hope this goes over the, the, I do. I'm serious. You know, the atrocities that those people are doing while calling themselves Christians and arrogantly thinking they're better than you? Why? Well, there we have a real problem here in the United States. Globalism has pushed things to the point where we've allowed corporations to get control of Washington, D.C. They're using our military practically to open up new economic markets for, to sell our junk. 
And if you want to sell your coffee and your jeans and your clothes or whatever, you know, your technology, then do it. But they're pushing a gay agenda along with it. And that is really causing problems. Because one thing the Eastern people realize, they live very close to the ground. You know, I've got cows and chickens and ducks and everything going down my street every morning. I mean, I've got to, you know, walk around the surprises from the cows outside my front gate. <laughs> okay, I wake up with the roosters. And those people know one thing. You can look at the cows and there's bulls and there's heifers. You look out there in the chicken coop and there's, there's hens and there's roosters. There's no trans chickens. Amen? It's really, really simple. And so they're like, you know what, America? You can take your culture, you can take your gay agenda, and uh, we don't want it. You're not bringing that stuff here. And so where we've lived in Odessa for the past 10 years, they've tried to have a gay pride parade, a UN-sponsored thing, you know? And those unsaved Orthodox people come out of their apartments and their houses in droves and beat the living daylights out of them and say, get back in the closet. You want to have freedom to do that? You do what you want to do, but you don't come out here and publicly enforce that on everybody. We are pro-family here. You know, and so that is, they finally got the gay pride parade in Odessa done. I think it was last year, they had riot, they had police in riot gear three rows deep surrounding about 30 of them right downtown and surrounding that little group of 30 was a mob ready to eat them. And I look at that, I'm not condoning violence, I don't want anybody to be hurt, okay? I'm not saying kill them, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not, I think that they need the gospel and Jesus Christ died for them just like anybody else. But this idea of putting them in the driver's seat and enforcing this gender idea, we can't even figure out what a woman is in Washington, D.C. We have lost the respect of the world because of that. And nobody's really speaking out much. And that is one of those key moments that's behind this whole war and Russia. And Russia is totally justifying its war against Ukraine because Russia looks at Ukraine as we're losing Ukraine, our people, to the West, to these apostates over there in America. And they just figure it's better to kill them all. I mean, that's what they say. I, I think it's all about power. It's about money. But that's what they use to justify this war. And so you look at the, the, the globe and it's, you know, I still kind of believe it's a globe, folks. Please don't. I just don't. Okay? Just don't. <laughs> I mean, I just don't want to go there afterwards. But anyway, uh, it's, um, <laughs> it is a, um, divided like that, the two hemispheres, east and west. And you notice these uh, two legs again, eastern division, western division. It goes all the way through the trib. And... Uh, I think that this is an east-west thing. And we're seeing, and I just want to call your attention to this, there's five toes on the right foot and five toes on the left foot. I think that that means something. This is uh, a divisions occurring in the world and where all of our corporations pulled out of Russia. Did you notice that? They pulled out. 
they've already stolen all our technology. We practically gave it to them anyway. And they are, the Chinese are already producing equivalents of Apple iPhones and Microsoft, and they're doing all the clothing and the, you know, we gave it to them. They don't want our culture. They're, they're creating their own. And part of this is this, you know, the petrodollar. Petrodollar is kind of a big deal. Russia and Ukraine, I've been following this for like 15 years. I first came aware that Russia and China have been colluding to overthrow the petrodollar, which is the reserve currency for the world for energy. I didn't know any of this until like 15 years ago. And then I realized, you know, I, I found out that, uh, did you know that like 80% of all the $100 bills that are in print are not in America? That's something about our economy that's going on. So there's a division, and traditionally, this is what the typical prophecy guy will teach. Daniel 2 compared to Daniel chapter 7. They'll put the lion up there with Babylon. They'll put the bear with Media Persia and Greece. They'll put there uh, the, the leopard with Greece, and then they, they just attach Rome to the Antichrist. You see that? And the problem is, is that Daniel 7, 17 says, These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Babylon had already gone. He talks about the night visions. It's a type of the church age in that passage. And I think that there is a repeat of the lion, the bear, and the leopard, which were Media Persia, Greece, and Rome. But there's a repeat before the second advent of Jesus Christ. And I believe that that repeat is the lion, is Great Britain, the Russian bear, and I believe pretty well that the leopard is America. They all have their outstanding characteristics because in Revelation chapter 13, I believe that that beast that shows up has the mouth of a lion. And there's your universal English language left over from the British Empire. All that's left of the bear are four feet. That's all. I think you're seeing the fall of the Russian bear right now. And all, it may be there's going to be a division of Russia divided up into four. I don't know. I don't know those things, but I'm just watching, noticing. Then America. America, what's America about? All breaking down the bounds, integration. Because the Lord and the Word of God, He, he associated the spots of a leopard with a race. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his what? Spots. And so the leopard is an integrated animal. It has these spots all over it with the yellow body with the white underbelly, which I've always believed Japheth is going down. I was in a radio interview with this guy, and he was just like, you know, whites, white men are leading the world, and white men are all this, and white men are that. And he says, what do you think? And I said, white people are going down. I said, Japheth is going down. The older brother is going down. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I think that that's what the Word of God's telling us. Hello, today, right? We got this guilt complex because you're white in America. That's crazy. That is so crazy. You know, there's only white people in Ukraine, and they certainly aren't, what do they call that, white privilege? They're not privileged. Living in... You know, mud houses and dirt floors, thatch roofs. You tell them about white privilege. Anyway, 
Are we okay? So, so, we have a division in the world. It started during the Roman times when Constantine moved from Rome to Istanbul. And by the way, Istanbul is also a city on seven hills on the Mediterranean Sea. Just, that's free of charge. You can think about that and pray about that for about ten years. By the way, they also have this real spirit of Antichrist. They deny the Father and the Son. You know what that Hamas says? Allah had no son. You know what? That's what they're wearing, right? They cut off people's heads, by the way. Anyway. I'm not saying one way or another. I'm just saying. <laughs> There's some things to pray about. We don't have it all figured out. We have east and west, and really what God looks at as the center of the world is Israel. Um, traditionally, everybody's been looking for ten countries in the European Union because they associate that, 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 that fallacy that Rome, you know, Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, they kind of get that thing messed up a little bit, and they associate Rome with uh, the Antichrist, which in reality it ought to come down. And uh, what they've done is they've tried to say, oh, there's going to be 10 countries in the European Union. Well, it just keeps growing. How's that working out for you? Well, yes, at the first coming of Christ, those were the ten kings that would have become the ten toes if Israel had received Christ as their Messiah. But now you can't stay in Daniel. You've got to go to the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation takes it further. Now it's global. These ten kings are not just Europeans. These are global. Notice this. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the what? They're their own group. They're the left leg, the feet, the toes of the left leg. I don't know who they are exactly, but we're seeing the rise of the kings of the east right now. There's a serious divide going on in the world. And those ten toes, well, they match this. In Daniel chapter 2, those ten toes match Revelation 17. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and praise the Lord. And the lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of Lord and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And did you know that the east is already divided up into five groups? Did you know that? There they are. Asia is divided up into five regions, Central Asia, East Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and Western Asia. You can look this up in any encyclopedia. There's Central Asia, the countries. Those were all under the Russian bear, by the way. There's East Asia. There's South Asia. I think all these regions are eventually going to come under the head of one king. These are going to be economic zones. Southeast Asia, Western Asia, there's Israel. Israel shouldn't be numbered amongst the nations, but there she is. Until Christ comes back, there she'll, there, and she'll be there. That is a map from the Club of Rome. That's in the Ruckman Reference Bible. It's a lot of light. So what's going on? What's going on in Ukraine? Well, Ukraine is caught in this times of the Gentiles, this east versus west and at the end of it, we're going to figure out what part or how much of Ukraine or if Ukraine is going to go east or how much or if Ukraine is going to go west. 
I think there's going to be a lot of division in the world until the Antichrist shows up and he brings peace for just a little bit of time before Jesus Christ comes back. That doesn't diminish one thing, that the Lord can come back anytime. Even so come Lord Jesus. And I'd like to just end with this. I'll, I'll end with a couple, just this, is that the book of Colossians, which has a very special application to the body of Christ at the end of the church age, it ends with this verse. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast fulfilled in the Lord, or which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou what? Fulfill it. This is not the time to put your Bible down. This is not the time to coast. This is not the time, Christian, to just, uh, you know, what will be, will be. This thing's wrapping up. It's wrapping up really fast. We're seeing the rise of the kings of the east. We're seeing this world become very divided again. You know, no matter how hard the UN tries to put everybody together, it's going to be division. I don't know what's going to happen with the United States, but I know this. I know that there is no country like the United States that's putting out missions. I think that missions is keeping this place afloat. I really do. I've been around. I've traveled. And anybody who's doing anything is either from America or they were trained from America. You are a part of a big thing. The church has never seen anything like it. I mean, anybody passing out tracts in the world usually is not from, you know, uh, Taiwan. They're not from uh, Istanbul. They're not from these other countries. It's the United States. And the Lord Jesus Christ is very interested with getting his gospel out. He is totally invested in this. And you have a chance to be a part of something that is big. It is huge. Can you imagine our forefathers here in America plowing their fields and thinking that one of these days my great-great-great-great-grandchildren will have a chance to impact people across the world through this free economy and the freedom of speech and the freedom of press and the freedom of association, all these things that we enjoy here because of the United States of America. God did something amazing here. I mean, I know I got friends who were, you know, rah-rah America, and some friends are just down with America. But you know something? Wow. I look at it, and I look at the United States, and it's like, wow, thank you, God. Amen? It makes my job so much easier to do the work of the ministry and lead people to Christ. And so if you've got a ministry, this is not the time to think about quitting and if you don't have a ministry, well, maybe you want to be found busy when he comes because I really, really don't think we got much time. I'm talking to pastors, and they're just like, brother, this thing's wrapping up. It's wrapping up fast. Amen. So if you're going to do something, you better get it done. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, preacher. Thank you, pastor. Let him come and, and close this out as he sees fit. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. You know, I preached about it last Sunday night. I talked about some strange things we're dealing with. We are in a world today. If you don't think the Lord's coming back soon, if you don't think it's, it's enough like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you look around here and you can't see that in this nation, I don't know what to tell you. It's getting close, and you saw it again tonight, and you see how close we are to the end, and the Lord's drawing the lines, and He's fixing everything up just the way it needs to go. He's making all the preparations, and uh, worked for 
Worked for a company down in Florida. One of the guys, his favorite, favorite statement, we'd walk onto a job site, nothing's done yet, haven't even started, haven't put the first hole in the wall to go ahead and start running wire. And his statement was, all we gotta do is finish. All we gotta do is finish. Say, well, there's a lot to be done. You got that right, there's a lot to be done. There is no lack of work. Here or around the world, there's not a lack of work. It's the question of, are we gonna finish? Will we finish well? So let's go ahead and sing 863, if you would. 863, maybe you need to come and just ask the Lord to give you some courage to finish. Crazy world, maybe you just need to thank Him for the blessings He's given you. 863. 